Hello, you're listening to No Such Word as Can't with me, Hazel McBride. I was always told growing up that there was no such word as can't, and I genuinely believe that that mentality instilled a belief in me that anything was possible if I just set my mind to it. As someone who started off with a seemingly impossible dream and somehow made it my reality, I want to help more people achieve their goals by giving them actionable advice, as well as sharing stories from others who have done the same. One such person is sitting on the other end of the call for me today. I have the absolute pleasure of reuniting with my old intern roommate, Madison Berger. How are you? Oh, I'm so excited. I cannot believe it's been almost nine years since we interned together. It's We're amazing. Old. To, I know, <laughs> but it's amazing to see, uh, you know, as little interns with big dreams. I mean, exactly what this podcast is about. And we both had those goals and now we're living it. Yeah, we both made it happen. It's so crazy. Like our yeah. intern, our intern group was so successful. Like if you look at all of us, <laughs> like we, we all like went on to do exactly what, what we said we were going to. Um, yeah. But yeah, you, uh, you've had a fantastic um, career. You seem to have been going from strength to strength, you know, <laughs> year upon year. So where did your passion for animals, specifically horses, you're definitely a horse girl. Uh, where yes. did that, where did that start? Yep. So, um, so just a brief, I am now an equine veterinarian. I've always been a horse kid and, uh, but it took a while for that to become the life goal. When I met you, that was the life goal, but it took a while to get there. Um, so I grew up in South Florida in the United States. And uh, was just that crazy kid that came out of the womb of, I want a pony. And I never grew out of that phase. <laughs> um, I grew up in a city. So it's kind of funny that where did that come from? Nobody in my family had horses. But I always say that my parents were kind enough or dumb enough to get me said pony. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and uh, basically let me go be that barn rat. And it was very much, if you want to be around the horses, well, you're going to work for it. So, well, I got to ride. I did everything. I fed, I mucked stalls at age seven. Uh, you know, learned every bit of anatomy I could, every bit of, you know, equipment. I was just hungry for it. And that was my happy place, the barn. Um, and like I said, I was very fortunate to have a family that was supportive of me, at least being around that, despite that we lived 30 minutes from the closest barn by car. <laughs> um, yeah, I then... think also with horses, you know, when you're a child and being around horses is such invaluable experience is such a teaching moment about okay if you love animals you also got to learn how to take care of them absolutely and um, I think that quickly instilled a work ethic um, because even if you wanted to go ride your pony you still had to get it from the field clean it up tack it up and then afterwards put it away appropriately clean all of your tack afterwards so even if uh you know that delayed gratification or you've got to work for what you need and mm -hmm. um I think that's a huge part of any goal, whatever that might be. Mm -hmm. And uh, then uh, as I got a little older, I moved into a little bit more of a competitive side with the horses, um, which has been really fun. Took me a lot of places. Um, got to show in Wellington, which is a big hunter jumper facility in the Florida, um, especially during the winter because it's the only place that's warm enough really. And uh, then was fortunate to go on to college and ride on a varsity equestrian team at the University of Georgia. Um, there I did an animal science degree um, and continued on to veterinary school. 
slowly but surely. And it was during that undergrad at Georgia between our second and third year that I met Miss Hazel at our <laughs> Dolphins Plus internship um, because I had this crazy idea. Um, I was, and it's pretty similar to what you said in one of your intros about, I knew I wanted to go to vet school, um, but how do you get there? Well, mm -hmm. I found people who had done it before me and said, mm -hmm. what the heck did you do? <laughs> mm -hmm. And a lot of them had gotten experience, extensive animal experience, but also diversified animal experience. Um, I had had a little bit of small animal work and a ton of equine work, you know, growing up in barns, working in barns, mm -hmm. but I wanted to figure out how, how do I show my skills with large animals? Cause I always wanted to be a large animal vet, uh, but in a different way. And so I started applying to all of these sort of exotic internships, uh, big cat rescues, wolf parks, uh, a couple of the different facilities in the Keys growing up in South Florida. You know, I had a little bit of knowledge of the facilities in the Keys and uh, ended up landing the Dolphins Plus internship, showing up as I think the only intern that didn't actually want to end up working in marine mammals in the end. Mm -hmm. um, but learned so much and you'd be shocked what I learned in that internship that I still use on my equine patients today. What made you, was Dolphins Plus, because that's, that's the facility um, we ended up interning at together, although now it's technically Dolphins Plus Marine Mammal Responder, the specific one we were at. Right. They, they've changed to, to a non-profit now. Mm -hmm. um, what made you choose there? Because you said you applied to several different places for that summer. What made you choose Dolphins Plus? Mm -hmm. Um, or so dolphins. I, dolphins. Well, I, and that whole following in the footsteps of those who'd gone before me, actually, uh, a girl who had been on the equestrian team with me a few years ahead of me, who wanted to go to veterinary school, she ended up doing the internship at Dolphins Plus, and actually ended up staying on as a trainer for a few years before she went on to veterinary school. She's now in veterinary school, Ali Sullivan. Um, but she had a good experience and learned a lot, and it seemed to be taking her places. So when they accepted me, it sounded like a good fit. And then I grew up about two and a half hours north of Key Largo, where that facility is located. So it also helped to be a little close to home. Yeah, I mean, we had a fantastic summer, like one of, for me anyway, one of the best summers of my life. Like we spent so much because me me and Maddie obviously you guys weren't <laughs> those of you listening weren't <laughs> there on the internship with us but we spent so much time together because not only were we housemates we yeah. also had the same days off together yes so we did so we, we adventured a lot together yes we went to the turtle hospital we went um paragliding like do you remember when we went paragliding yes like, up in that big thing it was like so quiet yes. up there I can't even believe we did that. We, yeah, we had such an amazing time that summer. And I always say to people who are wanting to do internships, you know, I would say more from the side where I came from. They're so desperate to be marine mammal trainers. They want to get the experience. They want, you know, to make the best impression they can. That I think so many people forget to have fun. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and maybe I was just naive enough in that my end goal was to gain experience, but not necessarily step on y'all's toes into getting those, you know, the next step into being a marine mammal care provider, um, which maybe that helped because I didn't feel like a threat, I guess, that. I just wanted to <laughs> learn and came in really open-minded of like, what is positive reinforcement? What is negative reinforcement? <laughs> what is all of these things? And um but it's really entertaining how much I will use that with my needle phobic horses now. Um, yeah. And it is 
I am known in the clinic as someone who can teach a horse to be not afraid of needles. And amazing. A lot of, a lot of that came from things I learned during that internship. Yeah, because, you know, internships aren't just about playing with dolphins, even though, you know, we get to do that, you know, you attend lectures, you learn really important skills about animal care, you know, we also got to observe, you know, dolphin surgeries, which was like, Mm -hmm. so incredibly interesting. Yes, and that I think I got, well, I hated the fact that, you know, we had some dolphins that needed additional care. At the Mm -hmm. same time, it was so amazing to see how teams of people work together during those surgeries, all the different roles that have to go into it, some of the challenges associated with doing surgery on a marine mammal. Um, So those experiences were definitely invaluable. And uh, actually because of it during my vet school experience, even though I was not an aquatics focused student, I was often pulled to help with the manatee research Mm -hmm. because I kind of knew how to handle some large (laughs) marine mammals. So that was pretty awesome. That's amazing. And I think it's really important, I think, in any job field to diversify your experience. You know, it's definitely something that I did not do. And I'm so lucky that I actually ended up becoming a killer whale trainer because, oh, my God, if that had not worked out, (laughs) I didn't really have a backup plan. (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, you know, and I she's not kidding when I'm saying I met her nine years ago. And the first thing I want to be an orca whale trainer, I'm pretty sure they were the first words out of (laughs) like no joke um so it's all you know it's been fun watching from afar across the pond yeah you know watching that that come to fruition and then how you've transitioned into this new stage in your life but still Mm. staying connected in that world thank you I'm trying girl I'm trying But um, (laughs) you did so incredibly well um, at our internship as our whole entire group did, you know, yeah, we had fun, we had some laughs, but you know, we really worked hard and set ourselves up, I think, for some incredible careers. So you left Dolphins Plus and you were like, that was an amazing experience. I learned so much, but nope, still want to be a vet. You went back to school. What was it like? Because I know in the States, you guys have to do undergrad and then you also have to do vet school after yep so uh so after that internship then sites kind of got refocused back on you know equine medicine um so we do four years of undergrad and then you apply in that last year or potentially after for veterinary school we're then going to do an additional four years of training at least um and so to continue to diversify afterwards i wanted to show um experience but more focused medically. Um, So I got in touch with some of the professors at the vet school at University of Georgia where I did my undergrad and ended up doing some large animal research with horses and cattle. Um, So that's what I did for my following two summers leading up to veterinary school and that gave me invaluable hands-on. I was drawing blood on horses and cows left and right, working them, doing uh, liver biopsies, some other fun things, and then taking those samples back to the lab, figuring out how to help run the protocols, got to be put on a few papers, but just continuing to not only get some hands-on experience, but also some clinical experience um, to then continue to diversify, I guess, my portfolio when I applied for veterinary school. Um, Was was there ever a moment that you doubted being an equine vet? No, but I will tell you that what I, when I applied for veterinary school, I had a whole idea of how I was gonna practice equine medicine and I am not doing that 
at all. This I still work on horses, but it is not in the realm that I thought it would be when I applied to veterinary school. So what did you think that um, was going to be? So when, uh, so when I was doing that research, I met a veterinarian named Dr. Kelsey Hart. She is a boarded internist at the University of Georgia. And in my mind, she had the life. She was a boarded internist. She was teaching. She was doing research. She had a husband, two beautiful girls, and four horses that lived on her property that she rode as much as work would allow. And in my mind, she had the life. That was what I wanted. <laughs> so basically, I did everything in my power when I applied to try to be her. <laughs> I was like, I want, and I, I do love teaching. I actually did some teaching today, and we can get into that a little later. Um, but I wanted, I went into my application saying, I want to become boarded in something, and I would like to. Uh, work at a veterinary school doing teaching as well as clinical work and uh, as I went through school I realized that my competition background and working with people something that we did every day at the Dolphins Plus internship um, I actually really enjoyed that one-on-one -on -one communication yeah. with the owners mm -hmm. um, and realized that in a uh, referral institution while you will still communicate with the owners they're a lot more removed mm -hmm. um, and at least uh, here in the States and I'm sure still over there, there are ambulatory veterinarians that we will drive around to the farms, provide medicine on mm -hmm. farm on site and we have a much more personal relationship with each individual owner. And as I went through school, I realized that I also enjoyed that client communication portion, which mm -hmm. I know is odd when most people at school are very animal focused. Mm -hmm. um, and so it pulled my attention a little bit away from working at an institution where I might not have, it might be more separation from the clients. Um, yeah, I even found that um, in the animal hospital I worked at for, for the last year because it was, well, here in Europe, you call it like a second line clinic. So it's not yeah, owners yeah. bringing their animals to a vet. That's a vet referring the animals to the hospital because they have bigger problems. So you're completely right. And that, yeah, you see owners, but not to the same extent as you would at a first line clinic. Yep, so I realized that that first line medicine was actually more of my happy place and where mm -hmm. I thrived. Um, so instead of going on to in equine medicine in the States after those four years, so we've now done four years of undergrad, four years of vet school, you then typically have to do, or in the past, you had had to do a, another additional year very much focused on equine. Mm. Uh, we are growing and trying to push away from that so that folks can jump into practice as we are having a shortage of equine veterinarians in the mm -hmm. states mm -hmm. um, which is a whole nother challenge but i did do that additional training year um, focused specifically in equine working at um, an equine referral hospital but did have an ambulatory department so um, we have some surgeons but we also a large portion of our practice is on the road um, and after that intense training year, they did ask me to stay on. Um, so I am still at Ocala Equine Hospital here in beautiful Ocala, Florida, in the center of the state. Um, and now I have a truck and an assistant. And every day we hop in the truck, load up, head out to farms, treat things as needed on the farms. We do general care, lameness, pre-purchase exams. Um, and more recently, um, I've really turned some focus to integrative medicine. Um, and so I got my certifications in acupuncture and spinal manipulation or chiropractic work. Um, and I'm doing a lot of that these days. 
What are some of the things that you typically, you know, see with horses? Because from what I know of horses, they will literally do anything and everything they can to cost their owners as much money as possible (laughs) and figure out a new way to die every week. It's funny you say that because I have a saying I tell my clients that horses go to bed at night dreaming of ways to hurt and harm themselves. Yes. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It is so true. It, uh, you know, job security. But uh, so yeah, it'll be a little bit of everything. I will in one day, I may do some dental work on a horse, then go sew up a laceration for one that, you know, cut its leg on a fence rolling, unfortunately. And then I may go and do some acupuncture for a horse that's not sweating very well. We have a lot of those here in Florida with the heat, especially this time of year. Um, And there's not a whole lot that seems to help that, but acupuncture does seem to. So then I may jump to some acupuncture. And then later in the day, I may be assisting someone with a pre-purchase exam as they're trying to decide whether or not the horse they'd like to purchase is a good fit for them. Wow. So it sounds pretty diverse. (laughs) Yeah, it sounds like a pretty diverse, you know, scope that you have to your job. Yeah. Um, And as people go further into their careers, often they will funnel a little bit closer to what they want. But as a general ambulatory practitioner, we uh, we're, we're first line, as you called it, for a little bit of everything. You know, I joke around human medicine, you've got a dentist, you've got a cardiologist, you've got a dermatologist. Well, we do a little bit of all of it. <laughs> yeah. And also you don't have the benefit of your patient being able to tell you what's wrong. Yeah. Um, and definitely. And it's also at the same time, we sometimes don't have the ability to tell our patient it's going to be okay. Yeah. Relax. Um, we do do a lot of things to keep ourselves safe. You know, mm-hmm. I, it's safety is really important when you're working with a thousand pound animal. Um, so whether it is proper restraint techniques, whether it's moving the horse to an area where they are going to be more comfortable, trying to lower the anxiety, or um, we do go to sedatives as well if we need to do something that is re- relatively dangerous. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, stress definitely doesn't help, you know, those situations is why in marine mammal training, we try to do everything as voluntarily as we possibly can. And you even mentioned using some of the training techniques. So can you tell us when a little I, bit about that? Yeah, I think one of the biggest takeaways that I took from our internship was that was watching these large animals actually per- choosing to participate in their own health care and Um, especially as someone who's going to be first line and potentially see that horse time and time again, I want to make their healthcare a good experience. Mm. And I want them to be willing to participate in that experience. Um, So often, like if I have a needle shy horse, um, rather than going up, stabbing with the needle, trying to get it done and run out of the stall often. um, So we'll typically draw blood from the jugular vein in the neck. Um, I may start by just placing my hand on the neck. And as soon as that horse chooses to stop moving or wiggling, I'll take it off, relieve that pressure, show them it's going to be, if you stand still, I'm going to take that pressure away. And we slowly work our way up to the needle cap and then eventually the needle. And I've had a few horses that we might have to do that every time that I see Mm -hmm. them, but some by the third or fourth time, all of a sudden needles aren't such a big deal and we can move forward. And I think it's one of the most important things in practice because you never want that needle shy horse to have that day where they've crashed through a fence mm. or they're colicking and it's an emergency and we yeah. really need to administer life-saving medications. Mm-hmm. But if we can't get them in the horse, then, um, and 
you know, not all of it is on the veterinarian's job to train the horse per se, but if I can take an extra five, 10 minutes and make that a better experience, not only is it going to be better for the horse, but it's also going to help me do my job better. Absolutely. And you see it a lot with us as well. You know, you have some vets and, you know, vets are so busy. They have so much to do. And especially, you know, one of the vets that we would have in a marine park so large, they have so many animals under their care and it's, it's hard for them to find time. But we would invite our vets down and just be like, hey, you know, if you want to come and just play with the animals for a bit with us there, you know, give them some ice cubes, feed them some fish, like just create some sort of positive relationship. It can help so much. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I have a few smart horses. I'm a tall woman, six feet tall. I know you can't quite tell that on a podcast, <laughs> but uh, there are a few horses that learn that the tall lady is the needle lady. So we, I've yeah. had to do some of that to try to reinforce that things. Yeah, absolutely. And you also mentioned, you know, you love all of the aspects of everything that encompasses your job, but you've also branched out into teaching. Yes. Yeah, so, um, when I was towards the end of my veterinary school career, I started on my acupuncture certified veterinary acupuncturist uh, certification and have finished that certification along with some additional ones. And here in Ocala, we have something called the Chi University, uh, which is where they, one of two or three schools now in the States that teaches equine acupuncture to veterinarians and veterinary students. Yes. Is that Millie or is that the new so, one? That was Millie, Millie. Uh, the dog that I adopted <laughs> right after our internship. But um, with that school being here, uh, after so much training, the head of the school, Dr. Shea, uh, actually asked if I would come be a part of his teaching, uh, teachers and teaching assistants. So today, before recording the podcast, I was at the Chi University uh, teaching prospective veterinary acupuncturists uh, a lot about acupuncture and where some of the points are. That's amazing. Isn't it so wonderful to be able to share what you've learned with others? Yes. And uh, it, it also further, you know, in veterinary school, we have this saying, see one, do one, teach one. Mm. So if there's a new skill, somebody's going to show you how to do it. Uh, then you're going to get to do that new skill. And then when you have the ability to teach it to somebody, that's when you can concretely say, I've got this skill down. So I, I feel like I'm finally going through the motions, see one, do one. And this weekend I was teaching one. So it, did you get to a point because, you know, I think anywhere in the world, you know, medical school or veterinary school, it's, it's a long time to study before you're officially kind of in the job. In America, it's even more, it's a crazy number of years. <laughs> you know, when you finally graduate and we're finally, I am officially an equine vet, how did that feel? So one incredible experience to, you know, check that box off my list. But what I don't think some people realize when they set that goal is the goal is not just to pass the classes. It's to set yourself up for this career, this lifelong career. Mm -hmm. um, and I think even I got a little short-sighted on that in vet school and got a, potentially even a little bit more hung up on grades in the first year or so than I should have. Um, in reality, it's not so much can you identify that crazy little question on that test, mm. but how can you apply this to your patients day in and day out? Mm. Um, and you're constantly learning. Um, I feel like every year that I've been in practice, and I've been in practice for about three years now, uh, you kind of get 
the basic level of cases and you figure out how to do those and you get very comfortable with them. So they take on the next level or a little bit harder of cases. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, how do I do this? Where, what are my answers? How can I make this better for this horse? And then you find those answers and you feel good with it. And you just every year keep building on that um, and finding new things to help your clients and your patients. And uh, so you're constantly learning. Uh, it doesn't end just when you graduate. And uh, it's, it's still a consistent push, but there are those good days that really make it worth it. Yeah, you've really chosen a career where you have to be very active in it. You know, you can never get complacent of, oh, I know everything about equine medicine. You know, you, you do need to continue studying and researching and like you said, teaching and sharing everything. How do you deal with that? Because, you know, coming out of eight plus years of school, like, did you ever deal with burnout or especially because you work oh. so many hours? Absolutely. And I think, um, and I'm hoping that we're starting to create a little bit of a shift in our clients' minds, but I think they come, they believe we come out of vet school and we have every answer that ever existed. Mm. Um, and in trying to break that cycle of, I think there, I mean, there's, there can be this feeling of you got to fake it till you make it. But mm -hmm. um, I have really worked on establishing with my clients that I have this saying, um, if I don't have an answer, I'll get you one. And so they've gotten very comfortable with, you know, if I take a radiograph of something and I see something in a joint that is concerning me, but I'm not quite positive where I want to go with it, or I'd like a second opinion, my clients have gotten very comfortable with, if I don't have an answer for you, I'm going to go get you one. And then I'm fortunate to work in a larger hospital where I have a lot of other doctors and it's great in a collaborative sense that we are able to ask each other questions because it can be very isolating on the road for an equine practitioner, small animal, when you are the only doctor on the farm. Um, I really I like, sorry, I did interrupt you there, but I, I really like the way that you said that because I've heard other vets say the same thing about the best vets know their limits. Yes. They don't Absolutely. try to push outside of what they're familiar with or what they're, they know because of their ego. They're very willing to be like, hey, I'm not entirely sure. I'm going to find someone who does. Yep. And I think a lot of young veterinarians, me included, when I first came out, we feel this need to prove ourselves. We feel this need like, you know, the clients see a young face. I've been asked way too many times, am I old enough to be graduated? And I'm like, yes, I've been through a lot of years of school. <laughs> um, but, you know, there's this need to feel like you have to have all the answers. And uh, the sooner that you can let go of that. And I, it took me about a year and a half to really feel comfortable with being, say that to clients. Um, but they, the ones that have stuck it out with me and uh, you definitely start to gravitate to the to people that will gravitate back to you. Um, but they've gotten very comfortable with that idea. And then it's also helpful to, you know, build that community around you. And it's not even always just people in the veterinary medical field per se. It um, even like, so my husband's a human doctor. And if I'm stuck on a case, uh, we're all mammals. People are mammals too. Uh, <laughs> And I will just present him some blood work sometimes and go, what does this mean? What, what comes to mind? And, you know, sometimes his suggestions will get the noodles going and give me some great ideas. Sometimes he suggests things about a gallbladder and horses don't have a gallbladder. So <laughs> that idea is not very helpful, but, you know, I think it's also important to 
not only have your community in your career, but also your support community around you and come in different forms. I mean, I think a lot of us think of family when we think of that, but um, whether it's friends, colleagues that are in fields adjacent like yourself. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and just having that can be really helpful in, like you, like I said, sometimes an isolating job. Um, and when, when we're in the thick of it in busy season and we're running, you know, between farms and my practice radius isn't huge for an equine veterinarian. We probably cover maybe an hour's worth of driving from one into the other, but mm. we might go to 12 farms in a day. Mm. I think my max was 17 farms one day. Wow. Um, I mean, that's not on the regular, but we, we can hustle and put in some 12 to 14 hour days sometimes. And so that those days can get a little tiring. Um, I think it is really important to make sure that you are taking time to take care of yourself. Mm. Um, I think the, like us as equine veterinarians are often on call on the evenings and the weekends. Um, and while I'm sure my clients probably don't want to hear this, if I can't take 10 minutes to brush my teeth, use the restroom, take a breath and prepare myself uh, before driving out to that emergency, then I'm not going to be fully ready to take care mm. of that patient the way they need to be. And I think that was another thing. It took me a while to learn because I used to just bash out the door as fast as I could get there. And then I'd be frazzled at the case as opposed to taking those few more minutes. Yeah, I might need another 10 minutes before I get there. And unless the horse is, you know, really bleeding out that 10 minutes probably isn't going to make a huge difference, but it's probably going to make a huge difference in the sense of the quality of care I can provide. So you mentioned there how important it is to take, you know, even just 10 minutes for yourself in the morning when you get up. How do you manage work-life balance? Because you also just mentioned that sometimes you're pulling 12 to 14 hour days. It, uh, it is difficult, uh, for sure. I, the work-life balance that, that term, I think the idea that it can be balanced every day is not always, I think what we're able to strive for, but trying to push for something like an 80, 20 approach, you know, trying to 80% of my days, having more of that balance and recognizing that we're going to have some tough days and being kind to myself. If I don't get everything done in the house, mm. um, you know, or, but one of the big things that I've been pushing towards is uh, I have sort of four boxes that I try to put some of myself into each day. Um, and one of it is uh, my house and home, you know, trying to keep organized and whatnot. Uh, one is professional development. So sometimes that all that that is, is finishing out all my paperwork for the day. Um, but sometimes that is trying to find, read up on the new cases or um, new modalities, you know, like I said, this field's always growing. So uh, that that professional development box, sometimes it's just doing my job. Um, but if on when I can have more time, I do try to branch out and read more things. Um, then is uh, my family. Um, right now I am, you know, in a relatively new marriage, I guess, after Yay. a year and a half. Um, <laughs> and who married to a human doctor who so we have some pretty crazy schedules especially yeah. when you work night shifts so you know if we have our shifts align you know we're going to make sure we put time in there for each mm. other um and then one box that is really focused on myself and a lot of time that is my time at the barn with my horses mm. um you know and that 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 truly is my happy place those you know 
as I say, uh, my favorite thing about my job is I get to pet a pony every day. <laughs> um, and I mean, that really rings true. That is, that is my, my therapy. I go to where my heart is happy is with my boys, my horses at the barn. So yeah. I try to, uh, try to fill that box as much as I can. Um, and I am fortunate that a lot of my clientele, um, being more in the performance horse, sport horse world, uh, they want to work their horses in the morning and ride and get their chores done before they see me. So that's also, I will get up at the crack of dawn and try to go ride before it gets too mm. hot. And then, uh, so that's kind of knocked off the list. I've started off in a good place with my yeah. horses and then, then I get to head on to taking care of everybody else's horses. Yeah, I think having a good morning routine can really set you up well for the day. But you spoke there just, you know, you have a very, I would say, high powered career. You know, you're you're definitely a career driven woman, which I think is fantastic. Your your husband also has a very successful career as women. We tend to put a lot of pressure on ourselves. And there's also external societal pressure that, oh, if you're a woman who has a big career like this, you still need to put in all of the work for, you know, the house and home. And women do tend to find themselves picking up a lot of the slack, even subconsciously. How do you feel about that? It's funny you say that in the subconscious, and I am not ragging on my husband because we are amazing, <laughs> amazing teammates. We make decisions together. We are, you know, he's totally on my side and uh, constantly pushing me to value myself uh, more than sometimes I do. Um, but it, it's definitely true. And uh, I definitely feel some societal pressure in that eventually we would like to have children and I am going to have to be the one that likely carries said child. Um, I do think we'd like to have children ourselves rather than adopt at this time. Mm -hmm. uh, but my job does come with some dangers uh, mm -hmm. associated with, you know, being pregnant and not being able to move as quickly. Um, mm -hmm. So it's definitely one of those things that we're, we're talking about. We're trying to figure out where that balance is. Um, you know, and I think for every, person in their field where uh, there may be some contraindications to getting pregnant, you've got to figure out what is your comfort level and do what is right for you. And that that's going to look different for every person. Um, my, mm. my assistant, she just uh, went on to maternity leave, but she got pregnant and uh, it definitely was an eye opener for me on some of the things, some of the medications we couldn't let her be around anymore. Yeah. And some like regulation. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Like <laughs> Regimate. <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, Regimate, which for non-horsey or vet people is kind of like birth control for horses, um, really regulates yeah. hormones. It's used with uh, dolphins and killer whales as well, just in, you know, slightly large, well, I suppose maybe a dolphin and a horse is a similar dose. Similar, yeah. Um, but yeah, you, right. women not really supposed to touch it because it can mess with your yes. hormone cycles. Exactly. So um, it, it was a good eye opener for me. Um, and she was an amazing sport and did amazing uh, on the job. But and just trying to keep yourself safe from uh, we take a ton of radiographs in the field as yeah, an ambulatory practice. So mm -hmm. um, radiation safety and other things. Um, but, you know, I at the end of the day, I am doing the job that I love and I yeah. will find, you know, we'll figure out what changes or what small shifts we'll need to make you know that time is not permanent when you're in that pregnant state mm -hmm. um, and you know we'll go from there and we'll figure out what's right for me and my family yeah and I think I mean I think that's all you can do you know you just spoke about watching other 
women in your field be going through it pregnant I've seen plenty of pregnant you know marine mammal trainers exactly the same thing if we've got x-rays going on they've got to really get out of the way not being able to handle the birth control even just running on slippery surfaces for us you know like it's absolutely it, it is a difficult work environment yeah and I feel really fortunate um I do have a few women in my practice who've gone before me who have children so I, I've got some some great mentors that I can lean on a little bit when when that side when that I time also think, comes. Yeah, I also think it's a fantastic example to set. You know, you like I know you'd be a fantastic mother anyway, but setting the example for your children of no, you can do it. Look at look oh, at yeah. mom. Look at mom. Look at dad. Look at both of us. Like we're rocking this. Like yeah, go <laughs> out, like go out and do what you want to do. Achieve what you want to achieve. And. Yeah. I also agree. I don't think you can ever be completely balanced. I think there's going to be weeks or months where the focus is one thing and then there's weeks or months where the focus is another. You know, I think it's impossible to always be permanently, perfectly balanced. Yeah. Well, and I think one of the, and that 80-20, I talk about a lot because I'm sure you remember this from me, like to be a bit of a perfectionist. I like to have everything done and I don't really? feel accomplished if I have <laughs> I don't feel accomplished if I haven't checked everything off my to-do list and, you know, learning to be kind to myself when there are those days that no, I, I'm not, I'm going to have dishes sitting in the sink and the laundry's not going to be done. And yeah. uh, I'm going to be up till, you know, late in the night looking at x-rays for my clients. You know, I, I might not get it all done. And that, that I think in the last couple of years has been a big struggle for me to accept but also learning to be kind back to myself yeah I yeah and you spoke time. about you know still pursuing what you love which is you know even though horses are your job horses yeah. are still what you love so you still make time to ride every day and as far as I'm aware you still compete I do um, I'm actually competing again so pretty excited um, being in the middle and the heart of horse country, I am very fortunate that we have a large set of shows that are here constantly. Um, we just had the World Equestrian Center about a year and a half ago open. It's a premier show facility 10 minutes from where I live, which is That's like lucky. childhood Maddie, childhood Maddie dream come true. Because um, not only do they do hunter jumper competitions like I compete in, um, but they have quarter horse shows, Frisian shows, saddlebreds, I mean, you name it big Clydesdales shows. So every breed, every style of riding comes through here at some point. So the, the little girl that just loved horses, not necessarily veterinary medicine or competing, still gets to see every, every breed of horse doing what they were bred yeah. to do um, on a regular basis. But, but yeah, I, I am very fortunate. I have uh, two horses of my own and a third that I share with my mom. Um, I did get her back into riding. Uh, Gladstone is my hunter. Indigo is my jumper. And then my mom's horse, Oliver. Um, and I am very fortunate that uh, they have slowly walked into my life uh, when I had horses in high school and then uh, sold them to focus on my education and did get to ride a little bit and or significantly in college with the equestrian team, but not on mm -hmm. my own horses. And then uh, Gladstone was the first one that I got as a uh, early graduation gift from my family. From I still remember school. seeing the video. <laughs> um, 
it was a complete surprise. I got presented him in a stall with bows on his stall door and I cried like a little girl. <laughs> but you didn't, you didn't realize it at first. Like you walked him into the stall, just were like, hi everyone. Why are you all looking at me? What's going on? Yeah, they, they had just said, hey, can you go bring Gladstone in? And I was like, because he'd been living at the farm where I had been riding for a while um, as a sail horse and I just brought him in like yeah okay it's what we do every day and everyone's like she didn't even see the sign what the heck and they're like Maddie what's outside her Gladstone stall and when I saw it was a nameplate with his name and my name under it as the owner yeah. and I ran back in the stall like a little girl and hugged him and cried at the age of like 26. <laughs> <laughs> that little Maddie's dreams were coming true, becoming an equine Absolutely. vet and also having your own hunter. That's just, that's the dream. Yes. You're absolutely bossing it. Um, If you could give advice to anyone who is thinking about pursuing a career, not just in veterinary medicine, but specifically in equine veterinary medicine, what would you advise them to do? find I think the thing is getting exposure to what the field actually entails um, even as someone who grew up around horses and with horses still getting a sense of what that career life is going to look like day in and day out and I have a lot of colleagues that they chose small animal over equine even though they love horses and they love riding but for them they wanted that separation and keeping their hobby yeah. a hobby um I'm that crazy person that wanted to be in the thick of it. And so that's where I found my happy place, but finding people. And I think you'd be surprised, at least in our field, actually how open people are to you joining us and shadowing us. Um, as long as you're presenting, you know, a well-worded email, maybe with a CV explaining why you're interested in the field. Um, you know, the worst is the, Hey, I've got nothing to do, but I might kind of want to do this can you take me around as opposed mm -hmm. to, you know, I am interested in the veterinary field. I would like to gain some equine experience. This is the experience I've had prior mm -hmm. ride with you. Um, and like I said, we are having a shortage of equine veterinarians graduating um, in the United States. And I think in many other countries as well at this point, I know Australia has been mentioning similar challenges so we really do want, for those of us that are still in it, uh, we want to nurture that next generation and, you know, keep our ponies taken care of. So don't be afraid to ask the questions um, as long as you're doing it in a polite manner. I think you'd be surprised how many people want to share what they do and want to expose you um, to, to this world. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I know that everything you've spoken about now is going to inspire so many people. Um, all of those little horse girls that are spending their days at the barn are going to be like, you know what, this might actually be a career. So Maddie, thank you so much uh, for coming on the podcast and sharing all of your wisdom with us. It was such a pleasure, Hazel. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you have enjoyed this week's episode, then please don't forget to like, rate and subscribe. Sharing on social media is always a bonus and I will catch you guys next week.